Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. We start off with another rough week for Donald Trump. Fifty senior Republican national security officials signed a letter declaring that he's unfit to be president. Senator Susan Collins of Maine became the latest and one of the most prominent congressional Republicans to say she won't vote for Trump. And 75 top Republican fundraisers sent a letter to the Republican National Committee asking them to redirect the party's resources away from Trump and to down-ticket races. And now, if that isn't enough, Trump suffered a number of self-inflicted injuries, such as saying that he'd be fine with prosecuting U.S. citizens in military tribunals at Guantanamo Bay, that he'd only lose Pennsylvania, where he's down 10 points, if cheating goes on, that President Obama is the founder of ISIS and, most notoriously, his suggestion that Second Amendment people might be able to deal with Hillary Clinton. So, Jay, which of this plethora of things would you say will have the greatest impact in the end? Oh, wow. It's, it's hard to There's say. There's a lot. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think you can, you can say it's any one thing. It's, it's all the things. Um, and it's the fact that they keep recurring. Uh, and it's, it's the... Uh, every politician makes gaffes. Uh, every politician says stupid things. Uh, every politician maybe will push the edge to say something uh, inflammatory to fire up a base, and, and knowing that you'll you'll upset others. Um, but but the problem here is is again just sort of the the unhinged, and I can use that in referring to a male. I think uh, uh, absolutely you didn't get that. Yeah, re- check the news back. Yeah. Um, but a nature of, of of the stuff that he's saying, and and the the unwillingness of him to back off uh, by saying, "Well, I, I I misspoke," or you know that came out wrong. Um, you know, for example, one of the the, the founder of ISIS comments, mm-hmm. um, radio uh, talk show host Hugh Hewitt, who is more or less a Trump supporter, or let's but at least at least uh, Trump friendly. Uh, had him on and and made sort of the gave him sort of the softball like you know well, well when you said you know Obama is the founder of ISIS uh, what you meant by that is is by pulling out the troops he created a vacuum that allowed ISIS to to come in, um, which and, is something and, a reasonable person could right you know, and, I, and, yeah. I, and I quite honestly I, I think that's a, a decent argument to to be made and uh, the Republican candidate should be making that argument that sure. Uh, but instead of saying yes, that's that's what I meant, uh, Obama again as the <laughs> doubled down, saying no, <laughs> he's the founder of ISIS. Right. Uh, and and again, I you know is is it a matter of he's just not hearing the question or hearing the getting the seeing the softball that's being pitched to him? Um, I I don't know. So, um, so you don't think it's enough for him to say I was being sarcastic and the mainstream media doesn't want to get this sarcasm because they're out to get me. Well, even this this saying sarcastic, it's not even it's not even using the word sarcasm correctly. Um, but it's again, it's you know maybe you can say I think with the the Second Amendment comment. Um, I think that's fair to say. Look, he's he was joking around. I, I don't think uh, people would read this as he is not actually asking, inciting, encouraging uh, the so-called Second Amendment people uh, to to do anything illegal. Uh, but that said, when you're running for president, you don't make those kind of jokes, um, and probably even when you're not running for president, you don't. Well, anytime you have a microphone, you don't make those kind of jokes. Yes. Um, I mean, you you and I uh, off the air uh, talked about a a potential joke related to a potential news story, and then we we decided against it for you know we didn't want to visit from the Secret Service. Exactly. Um, and also, if any if any listeners can guess what that story was or what the joke might have been, uh, send it to us. And if you're right, we'll we'll send you some some politics guys uh, swag. Absolutely. <laughs> um, 
but but no, I, I think I, I think it's to this point it is it is less of any one thing he says and more just the uh, accumulation of all of them and his refusal to um, not even disavow or, or explain away, but. Um, it, it's just it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, the real danger here, I, to me, the thing that really stood out is the way in which I feel like he's delegitimizing the process. These these remarks that the election may be rigged, and again, the thing about Pennsylvania, right, we didn't even, you didn't even mention that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's part of it. it clearly, that plays into the great distrust that a lot of Americans have in the system, but for someone at the top of a ticket to to play into those fears so directly and to and to clearly encourage that way of thinking, that's the kind of thing that regardless of what happens to Donald Trump, I think is hugely damaging to uh, American democracy. I think it's incredibly in, in incredibly uh, in not just in in poor taste, but just, you know, it, it can be a real threat to our system, which, of course, is built fundamentally on the belief that, you know, our, our voices count, our votes are, are counted correctly and so on. So this goes against just, I think, everything that is, that, that is you know, this democracy was founded on. And this is where I see the real danger of Donald Trump being. I don't think he's going to be president, but these seeds that he's planting – I think are going to, you know, fester and grow. And, and I just think it's just a horrifically bad thing. Well, um, do you think there's any way out of it? I guess that's that's the no, next I don't. Question. There was there was again something of a uh, what's been referred to in some circles as a come to Jesus meeting um, between yeah. some Republican officials and Trump. Um, I think we're and past I'm not that. Sure how that how that how that all went? Yeah, I, I but, think I think we're past that. I mean, this is the most divided party we've ever seen. This is far more divided than the party was when Goldwater was the candidate in 64. I mean, when you have all of these top Republicans publicly disavowing their presidential candidate, I mean, this is this is just nothing that anyone who's alive today has has ever seen in American politics. And so, you know, I, this is this is huge Trump's not going to change. I think that's very clear. You know, he recently said, you know, hey, if I lose, I go back to my pretty good life. And I think that's exactly the problem, right? He can walk away from all this. He, yeah, well, who cares? Well, the damage that he does to the system, though, is going to last well on into the future. This is this is not just any more disaster for the Republican Party. I think this is a disaster for American democracy. I, I'm... I'm uh, you know, I was a lot more optimistic, or a I'd lot say less. Disaster is a little strong. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is bad news. I guess you could say for, bad news. I would, yeah. I would definitely agree with you. Bad news. The other piece that that strikes me, though, that that maybe there's, if there's a silver lining, um, Trump shows a, a great deal of sort of disrespect to his supporters, and and I I think that will will catch hold at some point. Um, you know, a lot of people who are in politics and and do this for a living, you you do sense a there's a there's a sense of responsibility to the people who are supporting you financially, uh, getting out there, you know, knocking on doors, putting signs up, all that sort of stuff. And I think most politicians, people who run, feel a a debt to those people uh, and feel like, hey, you know what, I can't just blow this off because I'm, you know, people to some extent are counting on me. Um, and you don't see that with Trump, uh, especially if, hey, look, I can I can go back to a fine lifestyle and, you know, who cares? Uh, and just the, the way he's handling this campaign, I think at some point um, his his supporters are going to say, oh, come on, you're you know, look, there are I'm, I'm sure. And you, you see these these poor people on the news <laughs> who are asked to support them and people from from, you know, all the way down to you know some local guy to to Mike Pence, uh, who have sort of put their their reputations uh, on the line to support him, and and just aren't getting any kind of backup uh, or even consideration from sure. from uh, the Donald, and and that I think hurts, and I think people when this is all over, uh, assuming Trump loses, people will tend to look at this more as, look, there's just a, a weird Trump. Th- 
thing if we're, we're fooled into into following them. Um, well, and those are the people, you know, you mentioned Mike Pence. Those are the people I don't understand. Those, I mean, Donald Trump, I can sort of write off as, and I think you might have mentioned this uh, in the past, is he, he, you know, started the campaign not so much as a goof, but not really thinking it would ever become this. And he, I think, is a very disturbed individual in a lot of ways and so forth. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm no psychiatrist, but this is my sense of things. But the people who I always assumed were decent, sober individuals who cared about the system and had some stake in it, I, I, boy, I don't I, – I, some of those people I do not get. I, I don't understand the choices they're making. I think they're going to come back. I think they're going to come to regret these choices immensely in the near future. It just – it's a head-scratcher to me. Well, I, I think I can explain it. Okay. Um, well, explain away. It's just, to, some, to some extent, uh, there is just you know pure political calculation and, and taking on sort of a high-risk, high-reward uh, type – uh, type position. Uh, and, and you see that lots of times in, in various political campaigns. And you sort of saw it even with, with some Bernie folks uh, that, look, uh, this may be a long shot, but you know, if I'm right, uh, let, let's put it, this. if we had said uh, in February of last year, um, Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee, uh, people would be looking at us now like, wow, you guys are geniuses. That's true. Um, we, did, we didn't say that, unfortunately. Yeah. We didn't say no, that. No, no, no. We followed the conventional wisdom and uh, obviously we were wrong. So I think if you're a, a politician, a pollster, a prognosticator, whatever, uh, and you want a high risk, uh, high reward proposition, you can sign on with Trump. Um, and and should he win, uh, you'll be at the, the vanguard of the wave and you can be uh, sort of the Republican who helped – uh, reinvigorate the party, bring in new voters, uh, and that you were, if nothing else, had the skill to read the tea leaves correctly when no one else did. Uh, I think the second reason why, uh, you know, politicians, re- traditional Republican politicians, uh, might get on board uh, and support the Trump campaign is the idea, sort of, I mean, maybe like Mike Pence had this idea that if you're on the inside, you can sort of ameliorate uh, sort of the Trumpism and maybe maybe guide him and coax him, uh, being that he doesn't particularly have any real ideology. He's just just sort of, you know, says stuff. Uh, so maybe soften his positions on trade um, or at least, uh, you know, whatever actual, you know, trade decisions are made, see that they're reasonable um, and, and maybe out of tune with, the, you know, maybe different from what the, the Trump rhetoric is. Um, that sounds like a convenient rationalization to me. I gotta say. Well, I mean, and, and it, it it probably is to some extent, and and there's it's, it's a rationalization, and it's also sometimes a uh, facing reality, um, because people can say, "Hey, look, uh, Trump's here." See, to uh, me, we've got two two choices. One would be try to try to push him in the right direction, or or just run away and. See, see, to me, it's just the end result of a stunning lack of guts of the Republican elite from the very beginning of this process. I'm not saying that they are uniquely gutless or anything like that. It's quite possible the same thing would have happened if there would have been a, uh, you know, a, as popular of a Democratic demagogue. But the thing is, is from the beginning, they let this happen. And now they're, you know, now we're all reaping the whirlwind, unfortunately. But Well, and the, the last reason I think um – Republicans might might support Trump or be willing to to join in the crazy train or or have have gotten on and and now maybe just can't get off um, is the the idea of the enemy of my enemy is my friend um, and that being in two senses one of course the enemy being Hillary Clinton and and they believe that Trump will uh, even if he doesn't defeat Hillary Clinton uh, he will. He will fight the fight and do so much damage to the Clinton brand uh, that it will be either one damaged or at least emotionally satisfying uh, uh, for for some Republicans. But the other piece of that is there are a lot of people in the Republican Party who are dissatisfied sometimes with with very good reason with the Republican establishment. Uh, And they see Trump as the, you know, sort of hammer that's going to to smash the Republican establishment, which they don't particularly like. Uh, And, uh, you know, they would have the opportunity to sort of rebuild from there. I mean, I I think the the error there is that that 
you know, what Trump is undoing from the Republican establishment is is sort of what these people would want. I mean, right. mostly I'm right. talking about people who are more conservative, uh, and and Trump is is coming in as uh, someone who's anything but a, a conservative ideologue. Um, so I mean, those those I think would be the the reasons why you would see Mike Pence or other people sort of really taking that gamble and uh, and supporting Trump. Well, thankfully, at least from my my perspective, it looks uh, Trump's chances uh, look to be diminishing by the week. I you know looked into 538's latest forecast, and they say that according to the polls, uh, uh, Trump's got around a little over a 12 percent chance of winning, which is at least somewhat encouraging to me. It seems like the wheels are starting to fall off. And I just hope I mean, it's still a long way to the election, of course. But I think that that would be that the best outcome would be not just if he lost, but if he lost big. Well, and the other the other thing to think about is that now that we're getting into he's he's the nominee and we're actually an actual campaign, um, he's he's not doing the campaign stuff that needs to be done. And this is, you know, from what I understand was, was sort of the subject of, of the so-called come to Jesus meeting. Uh, and that he's, he's just not opening field offices. He doesn't have, you know, presences in the various States. Uh, he's, he's way behind on the fundraising uh, and he's not where he ought to be in terms of a, a campaign. Uh, his response, of course, is, is always that, well, look, this isn't a traditional campaign, so I'm doing it my way. Um, but but at some point, again, sort of for my own sanity and, and uh, you know, I have to think the conventional wisdom kicks in. So Absolutely. That's and I, as know. we said last week, I, I think it's beginning to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, in any normal week, running against any normal opponent – Hillary Clinton's email would have been the big story this week, right? Uh, a new, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. there's this new bunch of hacked emails that revealed what looked suspiciously like the Clinton Foundation personnel seeking and perhaps getting special favors for foundation donors from the State Department during the time that Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. And this is, you know, this is an important story. Now, I, I would argue that to me it was an important story but it's not exactly a surprise i think this is how dc works people do favors and so forth they're interlocking networks and so forth that's not to say that it isn't you know isn't something that should be looked at but it wasn't exactly surprising to me but it definitely didn't get the play it would have in any normal week against a non-trump type person right and i agree but this is i would think uh, i don't think it's necessarily business as usual either um as you point out, look, there's plenty of uh, examples of of uh, people in in D.C. and organizations that sort of buy access, and and that's is sort of I think understood. Um, but this is a little different, where you're talking about uh, uh, someone in the uh, taking contributions from a personally run foundation. Uh, which is sort of accountable to no one. Uh, it, it's it's much different than saying uh, someone's contributing to a PAC that's contributing to a campaign or making a direct contribution to the campaign, and and it's also the nature of the uh, the, the so-called favors. Uh, this isn't a, a situation of again you've got a a policy argument to make before Senator so and so, and you know you're able to to get in to see him and, and make that pitch. This this seems to be. Much closer to a real quid pro quo. I don't really think so. I, I'll have to disagree with you here. I don't really think that there's any clear indication that there was any quid pro quo. In fact, and there are only a few of these cases, and there's no real clear indication that these people were able to get what they what they wanted because they were big donors. I mean, it, it's again, I, 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 would, I, I, I agree, to... it's suspicious, but I, I'm going to defend the Clinton. I'm going to defend Hillary Clinton here and say that I don't think that there's really a whole lot here, which is not to say that it's not something that shouldn't be looked at. Okay, I, I would point to the the um, Russian uh, uranium deal, which again, the, the details of this came out last year. Um, where there was approval for uh, Russian ownership in various uranium mines uh, here in, in the U.S. Uh, it coincided with a uh, contribution from the uh, uh, Russian uh, energy company with Heisler Kremlin of something in the, the you know, around $33 million, um, and then was followed up shortly thereafter by a, uh, a half-million-dollar uh, donation 
to the to the foundation for a, a speaking uh, uh, gig uh, by Mrs. Clinton, uh, and again, very close to on the heels. And, and to, to me, this is this isn't the typical. Now that's a different uh, make, thing, though. I'm, I'm making a PAC contribution, and I'm coming to your fundraiser, um, and it's a hey, let's. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, let's get together next week to talk about this. I don't know. You're sounding kind of Michael Moorish to me, kind of trying to put together these these pieces this is, this and is, this argument the, by implication. And oh, I'm not arguing that these things this. didn't happen, but I'm just I'm taking issue with exactly the way in which you're connecting the dots. But in any case, the one thing we can agree on is this story uh, didn't get the coverage that it uh, that it probably should have gotten or would have gotten in in other circumstances. Certainly, you know. I also want to mention that this week. Hillary Clinton released her 2015 tax return. Again, she called on Donald Trump to release his returns. And it seems to me that at this point, it's clear that Trump won't be releasing any returns, despite his saying in 2014 that he would absolutely release his returns if he decided to run for president. And this is part of a larger pattern of non-disclosure by Trump. He's failed to release not just his tax returns, but any medical records, college transcripts, documentation concerning the millions of his personal fortune he claims to have donated to charity, or documentation concerning his Vietnam-era medical draft deferment. I mean, he's not a very transparent guy, Donald Trump. No, no, he's not at all. Though I should say that... <laughs> and I guess I, I don't really... Uh, you know, again, the idea of, of why wouldn't you release your tax his use is that uh, he's being audited. Um, and, and I don't, again, I don't see the the, the barrier there. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure his college transcripts aren't being audited. You know, um, you know, that was one thing that he called on President Obama to release back in the day. But apparently what's good for President Obama isn't good for Donald Trump. Uh, and so, you know, it's a, Donald Trump is more than a little bit of a hypocrite here, certainly. Uh, but uh, just, again, part of a larger pattern of things, certainly. So, so yeah. Um, and now I should mention that Mike Pence has said that he will be releasing his tax returns. So there's that at least, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm not exactly awaiting that with bated breath or anything like that. So, so you know, before we um, get on to our next story, I, I'd like to take a minute. We have a new supporter this week we'd like to thank. Roger from Newark, Delaware, a generous donation. Yeah, thank you very much. We'd also like to welcome all of our new listeners. There have been a bunch of you over the last few weeks. Just like to say we're glad you're here, and we hope you'll stay with us through this presidential election and beyond. And if you like what you're hearing, we hope you'll follow us on Twitter and share our new show links with your friends on social media. Uh, And, of course, as our longtime listener knows, our longtime listener, listeners know. That guy. (laughs) Yeah, that guy. (laughs) iTunes reviews and ratings, really important for exposing more people to the show and keeping us going. So if you could, we'd certainly appreciate a rating and a review. And if you're interested in helping us pay the bills, keep the show going, you can do what Roger did. Go to politicsguys.com and click on either the PayPal or Patreon donation links. Speaking of that, Jay, you know know that up to this point, the only thing we've been offering supporters in our way of thanks is, well, you know, our sincere gratitude and a shout out on the show. And, you know, yeah, I think they that's, deserve better. They do deserve better. And I'm happy to say this is about to change. All right. So uh, we're introducing some supporter rewards. First off, we have uh, all kinds of stuff. For anyone, and this is anyone, whether you decide you never want to donate a nickel to the show. We're offering you access to my article links list. Every day, I look through dozens and dozens of articles about political stuff from all sorts of sources. And only a handful are important or thought-provoking enough, at least in my mind, to make my list, which I use as the basis for each week's show. And all you need to do to get this is to email us at politicsguys at gmail.com, politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. We promise not to give or sell your email to anyone or to start bugging you with weird middle-of-the-night email rants about random stuff, you know, unless you like that sort of thing, in which case we'll, you know, see what we can do maybe. But that's that's for anyone. Just send us an email, say you want that, and we will get it out to you. Yeah, also, as, as Randy, as Randy Quick. Famously said, that's that's the gift that keeps on giving all year round. Definitely, definitely. And for anyone who gives any amount, if you just want to give that nickel to the show, I don't know, I guess you can do that. You will, of course, have our deep gratitude. Seriously, you will. And get a shout out on the show. But if you want to do a little bit more, 
we've got we've got levels, Jay. Okay. We've got levels oh. that I have modeled on the Obamacare plan levels. Okay. Now I know you might not necessarily like that, but it worked out well. So, at our bronze level, for if you give five bucks to the show, you will get our deep gratitude, a shout out on the show, and a special weekly email with show notes, links, and our deep dive article choices for the week. That's our bronze level. Okay. At the silver level. That's a $10 one-time uh, pledge or a monthly pledge of $2 or more. You get everything in the bronze level plus a spiffy Politics Guys logo sticker mailed to you free of charge. Awesome. Yeah, then, then there's our gold level. This is where things get really uh, uh, exciting, I guess. Uh, for a $25 one-time donation or a monthly pledge of $5 or more, everything in the silver, silver level plus access to an invitation-only Politics Guys discussion group on Slack. Okay. And then finally, there's our platinum-level sponsors. We've talked about these folks before. We have a few of them. Thank you so much. This is for people who give $50 one time or a monthly pledge of $10 or more. You get everything in the gold level plus your very own Ask the Politics Guys episode. You can ask us anything We'll record a personalized show just for you and send it directly to you as soon as it's finished. We'll also answer any follow-up questions you might have after you listen to your, your personal show. And all of this is retroactive, meaning that if you're already a supporter at the show at any of these levels, all you have to do is email us to let us know that you'd like your supporter rewards, and we will make that happen. So there you go. That's that sounds like some some uh, pretty cool swag there. Well, you know, and if if folks, if you have any ideas or other other stuff that we can do, if you let us know, we're we're happy to hear what you have to say and do what we can for for those of you who have been such great supporters of the show, and we really appreciate it. Okay, on to our next story. Both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were in Michigan this week to talk about economic policy. Trump started things off in his speech to the Detroit Economic Club. Clinton appeared later in the week just outside of Detroit in Warren, Michigan, to discuss her economic plans. Now, I didn't think there was anything at all surprising in either speech. Trump remains more or less committed to Republican economic orthodoxy on everything but free trade. In other words, lower taxes on the rich, less regulation of business, and smaller government, except for the military. And Clinton— Well, I, I, I would—, I would count, Well, never mind. Well, well, let's get into that. withdraw that. Okay. Because we're just talking about economics. I would yeah, say he's certainly exactly. unorthodox on social issues. Yeah, exactly. Economics. Yeah. And Clinton, I think, also toes the standard Democratic economic line, higher taxes on the rich, more regulation, and larger, more activist government. But, you know, like Trump, she breaks from her party on free trade, though Democrats are traditionally less pro-free tr- free trade than Republicans are. So at least that's my take on it. What do, what do you think about the candidate's economic proposals, Jay? Um, you know, I think the, you know, I, I guess it, it's sort of what you'd expect, as you, as you point out. Uh, the the Trump uh, plan has some tax cuts. It doesn't seem to be, and, and I'll tell you, I haven't dug deep um, on it. To there's not much to, to dig really into, think, as yeah, usual. To, to, figure, to figure out what uh, you know, where the taxes get raised, where they where they get cut. Um, you know, so I, I'm. It seems to be sort of, I don't know, maybe just sort of a, a I don't know, nod to, to, hey, I'm conservative economics. Yeah, whatever that is. I mean, again, it's not a here's my dynamic uh, plan to reform the tax code, which as a conservative and I think a lot of conservatives would say that's that's what we need. Uh, it's not just are we going to cut these rates here or there um, uh, or, or change um, uh, this or that. Um, you know, threshold move it, move it from thirty three to twenty or something like that. Um, you know, we need to do something more more dynamic. Um, a big part of it was uh, reducing corporate taxes, which again I think I'm I'm for that. It's a good idea. Um, uh, we lose um, uh, companies and and uh, tax funds to other countries for that that very reason. Um, but the other thing that, that troubles me a little bit about it is. Uh, Trump almost doesn't seem to be be pushing it. Uh, <clears throat> you know what I mean? It's 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 again. There's there's it, it, the plan is all Trump and no details. Well, yeah, like like all of his plans. In fact, yeah, there, and, you know, a lot of folks have pointed out, right, that if you take a look, for instance, go to Donald Trump's website, and there's this tiny little 
section on policy thing that has like half a dozen or something like that. You go to Hillary Clinton's website, she has something like 38 issue sections. I mean, if you want plans, if you want proposals, if you want deep in the weeds, policy wonkery, you go to Hillary Clinton, not Donald Trump. Which is a good thing and a bad thing, right? I mean, if you're the sort of person who believes that the more things that government does, the more your freedom is restricted, well, you hear Hillary Clinton's got a lot of plans and you think, well, that's not a good thing necessarily. I know. I don't think that's a good thing at all. I, well, let's know. put it this way. I think she's she's got plans anyway. At least she's she's putting them out there. <laughs> And she's she's at least thought about these things. I mean, you yeah. know, she is a she's a detail oriented person and so forth. She's been thinking about a lot of these things for literally for decades, whereas Donald Trump, again, Donald Trump's not about policy. In fact, on his economic policy, which right now what he what he proposed is pretty aside from the free trade aspect, is pretty closely in line with what the House Republicans have, have been suggesting. This is a plan that for the most part Paul Ryan can embrace. But, you know, he's changed his tune. Earlier on, he was talking about higher taxes for the rich, how his his economic plan would actually end up hurting him. What he presented this last week is very different from that. And I think that's just an indication that he doesn't really know his own mind on these policy things. He just kind of says whatever kind of comes out at that point in time, which is not what you really want, in my view. No, I think that's right, yeah. All right. so I should also mention that at least one other story that kind of caught caught my mind is uh, on Wednesday, the Justice Department released a report finding pervasive racial bias by Baltimore police. Now, the report, which was requested by Baltimore's mayor, comes only weeks after Maryland's prosecutors dropped charges against the last of six Baltimore police officers implicated in the April 2015 death of Freddie Gray, a 25-year-old African-American who died after injuries suffered in an unsecured ride in the back of a Baltimore police van. This is the first step toward the Justice Department entering into a consent degree with Baltimore, where Baltimore police would agree to change their practices under the supervision of a federal judge. And Baltimore is the latest in nearly two dozen cities investigated by the Obama Justice Department. During President Obama's time in office, consent degrees have been entered into with law enforcement in, most notably, Albuquerque, Cleveland, as you know, Jay, Ferguson, Missouri, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, New Orleans, Portland, and Seattle. So this has obviously been a big thing. The Obama Justice Department has been very vigorous in going after this, and I, for one, think it's a very good thing. What are your thoughts? Um, you know, I think let's let's balance it with the fact that the officers, all of whom, all of the officers who have have been tried. Uh, have been found not guilty at this point uh, or charges dropped or charges dismissed. And there are some serious concerns over uh, the prosecutor's um, uh, actions in some of those cases. Uh, That's not to say that there is not uh, racism in uh, the Baltimore police force or or any other particular police force. Um, so you know there was there was a really excellent piece that you had sent me about you know I don't know nine months ago in the Atlantic, uh, and we should maybe repost that because I thought that was really good about uh, Baltimore and and uh, the police and race, uh, and that I thought was really the the best thing I've read on on this topic, uh, and I, I think there the the author argues that uh, you know it's less about race and more about power and more about class, um, so. You know, look, the federal government enters in these consent decrees. I'm not sure how much that really changes things. Um, You know, some of them are are based on, on, again, individual circumstances. And, for example, here in Cleveland, I mean, we're creating a a new uh, community uh, board, oversight board, and now there's objections to who's on the oversight board. And it's, you know, I, I don't know how much that affects the actual policing on the ground and and what happens. Yeah, I think I can Um, speak to that at least a little bit. Uh, There has been a consent consent decree in place in Cincinnati, where I live, uh, since 2002. And, you know, as you point out, especially in the early days, there's a lot to work work out and things can be a little rough going, but at least in the Cincinnati case, and this has been the case in other places as well, once you can get over that, actually they can make a real difference. I believe it's made a real difference in, in Cincinnati. We certainly still have our problems, but I think this is a good thing. And I think, you know, you pointed out rightly so 
that in most of these cases that the, the police are found not guilty, the, the standard is very much higher for police officers than it is for you know, regular non-police uh, officers. And I think there are some good reasons for that, which is why I think it's all the more important to make sure that you have institutional structures in place to make it harder for these things to, to happen in the first place. You know, I come back to this again and again, how I feel that we need, before anything else, we need good institutions. And I, I think these consent degrees help to make that sort of thing happen, to make these sort of situations less likely to occur in the first place. No, I, that's, that's, that's probably good. If nothing else, it puts, uh, puts the cities on, on notice. Um, you know, I, Again, so much to me, a lot of the policing, it, it, what you, what the, the important play part is uh, in the intake. Uh, who are you hiring? How are you training? Them? Sure. Um, you know, I, I don't know that that, uh, and, and I, I think those that's that's the best place to look as opposed to, and my my natural gut instinct would be I'd rather have uh, the local governments doing this than the federal government jumping in. And I guess my point I made with, with Baltimore is that the federal government jumping in is they sort of will seize on uh, whatever happens, whether it's a, uh, you know, whether it's an actual incident or not, uh, and sort of going into sure. these. And, and you're completely right. The, the, the standard for finding uh, someone uh, guilty of a, of a criminal offense is something entirely different from saying, uh, is the police department as as racially sensitive as it ought to be? Um, yeah. you know, so. you know, and I would agree with you that uh, intake is very important and it, this is fundamentally a local thing. And I think part of the problem is that local governments, especially in big cities, are incredibly strapped and have been really, you know, since the uh, since the financial crisis. It's been quite a while. The tax bases are eroding. It's almost uh, impossible to raise taxes these days for these sort of things. And so that's why it's so difficult to do things at that level, because the resources that were there in the past just aren't there anymore in the same way. And, and that's I think that's hugely unfortunate. Which is, you know, and it's it's more than just uh, about raising taxes. It's about rebuilding a tax base, and that's a that's a really tricky thing to do. Not well, an easy. But the the uh, yeah, I'm I'm not entirely buying that because look, the the resources are what they are. Now it's just a matter of you have the federal government stepping in and telling you how to direct them. Um, so, you know they, that that you know I think it's 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 sometimes just mismanagement, and it, it's tough to say that again there is a. Uh, broad-based problem in all these departments that, that's similar. I think they are, uh, you know, all unhappy families are, are unhappy in their own way. Oh, um, I don't know. It seems like a lot of these unhappy families are really unhappy about the African-Americans in particular and are are systematically discriminating against them. At least that's my that's my take on it. Well, I, yeah, but but again, the the problems of of how that comes about is it is it in the intake? Is it in the training? Is it actual racism? Okay. Is it is is it the manner in which uh, uh, neighborhoods are patrolled? Is it the type of of uh, offenses that uh, they're trying to enforce? Is it is it over enforcement of minor offenses? All those those things. I and, see and what you're saying. It's a it's a big mix. Uh, for example, the the Cleveland case arose out of a uh, lengthy. I mean, something like two-hour car chase with uh, 22-some cars and uh, I think 179 shots fired um, uh, and uh, the, the two suspects killed who turned out to be unarmed. Right. Um, that's a different problem than, than uh, um, yeah. uh, you know, the, the uh, suspect who was, who was choked to death, who, who died in, uh, in New York for selling um, uh, contraband cigarettes. But in, in a sense, I mean, you come back to, you know, intake and so forth. Uh, what, one thing that almost all these seem to have in, in common is that I think their, their resource problems, their, you know, more training, better, better intake, uh, better incentives. Well, we that had, sort we of had thing. plenty of resources in Cleveland. See, I don't think so. <laughs> Again, I mean, we, had, we had like the entire well, force. Yeah. And, you know, that's. Yeah, but bullets are cheap, uh, but, you know, training is expensive and difficult. And so, I mean, again, I, to me, it comes down to local governments, especially in big cities, have been hollowed out. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that, and we could probably do a whole show on that. And so I'm, I'm in favor of local solutions whenever possible, but I think absent the resources, it makes it really difficult. And that's sometimes when the federal government has to, has to step in. Okay. All right. Um, 
Finally, I should mention on Friday, I'm sure you've heard about this, Jay, uh, the Russian hacker known of as Guccifer 2.0, uh, the sequel, struck again, releasing documents including cell phone numbers and personal information of nearly 200 current and former congressional Democrats. And also, I've recently heard that there were a number of Republican lawmakers whose information was also released. And now, none of this appears particularly damaging, but the hacker did say that more documents would be forthcoming. Uh, and And once again, U.S. intelligence officials expressed high confidence that this leak, like others before it, was the work of the Russian government. So what do you think about this, Jay? Is this uh, uh, how how concerned are you? I'm I'm really concerned. Uh, And again, it's not so much of what they happen to have released so far, but the fact that they have access to to this. If they have access to this, what else do they have access to? I think it's it's really troubling uh, that we don't have uh, a better security, and, and the um, the the response has has been sort of you know weird. Again, it's sort of been a weird of, of blame Donald Trump, um, which again he's sort of sort of certainly crowing about it. Um, but uh, yeah, anytime you've got a a foreign actor uh, breaking into, uh, and and whether whether you want to say this is sensitive national security information uh i i don't i don't necessarily know that but you know and and someone took me to task for being sort of paranoid about this before but the the possibility of of blackmail of undue influence um is is always there and and anyone who's had any dealing with um the intelligence community uh, anyone who has ever applied for a, a job where there's a security clearance that's needed uh, can tell you the, the, that's the biggest thing that, that you're screened for is, is there anything out there that, that you would have a, a sensitive weak point that someone uh, in a foreign uh, nation could exploit? And there's, there's probably some of that in, uh, in these going back, some, back and forth. So it's something that's uh, embarrassing to one degree or another. I'll, 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 I see your point. point. I I see your point. And I, I would agree with those who called you paranoid. I don't think there certainly would be some embarrassing things, but I'm, I, I feel very confident there's no blackmail type material there. But, uh, uh, again, I, I, I don't think that's an issue at all. But certainly it's a, it's a matter of concern that not all, I mean, governments do this kind of thing all the time. I have no doubt that we're doing it. The, but the problem or the the issue of concern is when this stuff is released in a, no, here's just a, a hypothetical. I mean, I mean, say you uh, uh, were a Russian hacker and you were able to access uh, a year or two ago Anthony Weiner's um, uh, cell phone. Um, you would you would have some significant leverage over him. Well, you would only have leverage to the extent that he decided that that was leverage and that he would sell out his sell out his uh, country because he didn't want some. Uh, uh, well, you know what they're called, um, wiener wiener picks actually shown. So, I mean, I, I don't I don't think this is an issue. I know you think it's an issue with Hillary Clinton. I think it's a total non-issue. I'm pretty sure that she doesn't have anything like that in there. I'm not concerned about it. I'm concerned that there's the some. Have absolutely nothing to hide. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that it's not an email. That's all I'm saying. So I don't think it's a big deal. I think there's maybe a little bit of concern about how this kind of drip, drip, drip kind of comes out. And again, were Hillary Clinton running against a normal candidate, it might be an issue. Uh, you know, more leaks are supposed to follow, but I don't think it's going to be a big deal. Uh, you know, but I'm, I'm, it's pretty clearly a lesson to everyone to increase their email security because this is these were not super secure systems, and I think we're going to see uh, a lot more of that in in the near future. A lot, a lot more secure email systems, and that's a good thing. Yep. All right, it's time for our. Under the Radar segment, where we highlight a story from the last week that we feel didn't get the attention it deserved. My Under the Radar story for this week is marijuana. For decades, the only institution in the United States authorized to grow marijuana for research purposes was the University of Mississippi. And as a result, it's been extremely hard, in many cases impossible, for researchers to test the various medical claims made for marijuana. And this, in turn, allows opponents of legalization to argue that there's no truly solid proof of the efficacy of marijuana. 
Well, on Wednesday, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration announced that it would allow other universities and research institutions to apply for permits to grow marijuana, a move that was hailed by proponents of legalization. Now, the DEA also announced this week that it wouldn't yet be reclassifying marijuana. Uh, for the last 46 years, it's been a so-called Schedule One substance, which means it's deemed highly addictive and without medical value. And the hope of medical marijuana supporters is that more quality research will eventually result in marijuana being reclassified, making it even less burdensome to access. And I think this is a, this is a win for reason and science and an altogether good thing that didn't get the coverage that it should have. So I'm really happy well, to hear this. I, you know, I'd agree with you, but can we take a look, do it like a reality check and, and say that the hope for medical marijuana supporters isn't that there's going to be more research. Uh, the hope is that it will be freely available pot. I mean, I well, think- I'll disagree with you a little bit. That's the hope for some, but there are plenty of other people who are suffering debilitating conditions. And there are, there are, you know, a large number of people in the, in the millions and, medical marijuana could potentially help them in a way that other drugs can't or the way that other drugs can but give them awful side effects. So no, I think there's a large community of people not not to discount your your point, but sure. I think there's a large group saying, of people if, if who they really come might up benefit. and say listen, we've devised you can have mar- medical marijuana in a pill, you don't need to smoke it. Uh we've eliminated the hallucinogenic side effects uh and it will treat your your uh the illness that you're suffering from. Um, my sense is the medical marijuana movement would not be would not be pleased with that, that those findings and that research. Parts of it would not be. You're right, but you know I think there are instances like you take, for instance, Ohio's recently passed medical marijuana law, which I think was a sane and reasonable and targeted sort of thing. And I would expect to see more more laws like that. And it'd be nice if those those sort of laws had the federal government's okay, which would make so much easier uh, everything. So much easier, not just in terms of uh, sales and price, but uh, uh, access and so forth, and would help out a lot of people. So I think that's a good thing. All so, right, my my under the radar story uh, is the uh, decision uh, from an Ohio court and the uh, U.S. District Court for the uh, Southern District of Ohio, sitting in Cincinnati, uh, which uh, essentially stopped the Ohio legislature's defunding of Planned Parenthood. Um, and I'm the the, right. the opinion, and we should we should post the opinion because it's an interesting one, and it's like 23 pages long. Um, you know, I, I I think the court gets it wrong. Uh, they essentially uh, denied the, the refused to um, allow the, the the defunding on the basis of, of First Amendment grounds, uh, and and I think that's that's simply simply wrong. I mean, the the idea is this: is you have a a um, a state legislature who's decided it's going to defund uh, a certain private actor who it it, it uh, provides funds to. Um, to me, that that really ought to be no business of the federal government. And the court sort of compares it to uh, if you were receiving some sort of federal money, federal subsidy, you you can't have that subsidy uh, denied or removed uh, on the basis of of your speech or or political position. Um, and I think that's just not the right comparison. Um, well, so uh, you know, this is this is you know, it's troubling to me, and, and not even so much again from the um, you know Planned Parenthood and abortion and so forth, but but just a constitutional boundaries. Uh, this seems to me to be a, a, a political question, and the, the legislature should be able to fund or defund uh, however it sees fit. Uh, and that should be a political discussion to be had in the, the halls of the uh, of the state house, and uh, not a decision made by a single judge. Well, yeah, you know, I, I this actually this story actually flew under my personal radar this week, so uh, I, I won't uh, I won't comment except to say that I'm I, I think Planned Parenthood is a great organization. It does a lot of good things, and I'm happy to hear that it wasn't defunded. But uh, certainly, I can understand your point about if if that's in fact. Uh, what the Sixth Circuit said that you can't. Oh, it's not the, not the Sixth Circuit yet. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, was yeah, it? This was just district court. District and, court. And the Ohio Attorney General has indicated that uh, he's going to appeal to the Sixth Circuit. Okay. So that'll be interesting, and that'll you know be probably sometime uh, this fall. We'll uh, we'll see the arguments on that. Uh, um, well, then so I'll have to look into that. You know, yeah. 
I, I appreciate you mentioning that. Actually, like I said, it flew under my radar, so I'm going to take a look at that uh, opinion and see uh, see if I uh, see if I agree with you or not on that. Yeah. All right. Uh, and again, I well, we'll 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 post this somewhere. I will. Uh, I'll find a way to, to to post. So definitely, definitely, we'll do that. All right. So finally, our non-political thought of the week. Okay, my non-political thought of this week is. Uh, Semi-political story. I know we're running kind of long, so it's a short one, I promise, followed by a recommendation. There was a time, not really that long ago, when almost every major American city had a thriving newspaper, sometimes more than one, with a dedicated, full-time, investigative reporting team that could keep government officials honest or at least keep them on their toes. And this is hugely important because although when we think of the government, we tend to think of the federal government, you can make a strong case that it's local government that has the greatest direct impact on our daily lives. Now, unfortunately, one of the negative effects of the Internet, for reasons too involved to get into here, has been to change all this and change it very quickly. Today, big city newspapers are, for the most part, a shadow of what they once were, and investigative teams that could spend months or even years in some cases uncovering malfeasance in government are nearly extinct. And I was reminded of all this earlier this week when I watched Spotlight, a movie about how the Boston Globe broke the Catholic Church sex scandal. Now, I'm betting many of you have already seen it, especially as it won the Academy Award for Best Picture. But if you haven't seen it, it's now streaming on Netflix. So do yourself a favor and check it out. And that's my non-political or I guess semi-political thought for this week. That sounds good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, Jay, I think you said you uh, you're, you're not very non-political this week, right? I mean, you know, I'll save I'll save mine for next week because we've because we're running long. So okay, that sounds that sounds fair enough. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Then thanks everyone for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guys show, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail dot com. That's politicsguys one word at gmail dot com. Our Facebook page where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week and where you can join in is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would really appreciate uh, if you could take a minute or two to rate the show and write a quick review. And finally, if you like what we're doing and want us to be able to keep on doing it, a donation of even a buck or two would really help. You'll find donation links on our site, politicsguys.com. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.